and welcome to the Chorus in the Chaos podcast. Uh, once again, I am Jack, and I'm joined by Blake and Grayson. And uh, we actually have a very special guest this podcast. Uh, Barnabas Piper is with us. So if you're on uh, looking at this on YouTube, you can obviously see him there. Uh, on the if you're just listening to us on the podcast, obviously you'll hear him. But we'd encourage you to go check out our our YouTube site uh, if you get the chance. You can see our lovely slash unpretty faces as someone commented in the <laughs> in the comments a few weeks yeah. ago. Um, Sorry so for if the you've been disappointment about our faces. Yes, we're we're working yeah. on that. We're working on <laughs> fixing our faces. Um, so the, the theme of if you've missed the first couple episodes of this uh, season, our theme this this uh, this season is sitting around this idea of common struggles of the Christian life. And we've got a number of topics, uh, 20 to 30, that we're going to look at throughout the course of the year. And uh, episode one, we touched on consistent scripture reading. Uh, episode two, we touched on uh, prayer, building a better prayer life and what that can look like and you know why the struggle is there. And uh, th- this this episode, we are, we're looking at what we're kind of loosely calling finding and building biblical community. And I think... Um, uh, I think it'd be a really good episode. I, I've just being in the church for 20, 25 years. I feel like that's a thing that I hear a lot of people say, right? And um, yeah. uh, I struggle to build community. I, I, I don't have good friends in church, you know, this, however you want to phrase it. I think there's a lot of ways that struggle can come out and be phrased. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, let me introduce uh, briefly Barnabas. Um, Barnabas wrote a book called Belong that that um, oh, I should say the whole title belong loving your church by reflecting Christ to one another. And it's, it's an excellent book. We came across it. And when, when I saw it, I immediately thought we should have him on the podcast to talk about this book, to talk about his book, because the book is spot on for the struggle when we, you know, when we kind of outline this. So um, Barnabas, uh, I'll, I can introduce you if you'd like, but maybe it might be better. You know yourself better than I know you. Uh, <laughs> So many of us really know ourselves. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> but maybe take a minute and introduce yourself to people if, if they're not familiar with you or maybe some of the books that you've written. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you uh, for having me on. It's uh, I look forward to the conversation. Um, I am uh, I'm one of the pastors at Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I've been on staff here uh, since 2019, been an ordained pastor uh, since early 2021, so just over two years now. Um, and was a member at the church prior to that. And, and that whole experience of becoming a member here, coming out of a particularly difficult season in life and discovering genuine community and belonging is, is a lot of what uh, fueled what went into that book, um, yeah. Belong. Uh, prior, to, prior to being at Emmanuel, I worked in Christian publishing for about 14 or 15 years um, in a whole variety of roles at a couple different uh, well, three different publishers, all of whom were great. Crossway Books, Moody Publishers, uh, hmm. and then Lifeway B&H. Um, and so I had a lot of just a lot of different experiences in the in the Christian space adjacent to church, observing church, working with church leaders um, that that influenced what went into this book. Observations of what of kind of the good, the bad and the ugly, if you will. Not yeah. to mention that I grew up as a pastor's kid, um, so I have been in the church my entire life. Again, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that poured into it. Um, and uh, I'm married. I have two kids, uh, two teenage daughters, which is largely awesome and occasionally terrifying. And um, <laughs> but I, marriage, is, marriage is largely awesome. Having two teenage kids is largely awesome and occasionally terrifying. just want to specify that um, you got to qualify not not the marriage is yeah, somewhat just, terrifying right <laughs> that, that felt like it needed a proper clarification um yeah and yeah and i've uh i've written a handful of books um i wrote one called the pastor's kid about the unique experiences and challenges and how the church can support a pastor's family and pastor's kids particularly I wrote one called help my unbelief uh describing my some of it was was my own struggles with faith and doubt but largely inviting people who have grown up in the faith and not sure how to deal with their questions to you know take them to the lord in a faithful way and and see how questions and doubts can actually strengthen our faith um i wrote one called hoping for happiness which is sort of a a uh, ecclesiastes informed look at what does it mean to be genuinely happy in a life that is often just off the rails um because we live in a fallen world and then mm-hmm. belong was the most recent. And then I've done a couple of studies with Lifeway that are like small group studies on faith and doubt and then on Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great. Th- thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, so looking into the struggle, so let's, let's, um, 
dive into this a little bit. I, I pulled a few statistics just off my I email or uh, contacted Dr. Google and did a deep dive <laughs> of about 15 minutes looking for some general statistics on on you know commentary, just different things about building community. And the Barna Group had some interesting stuff. And and Barnabas, I'm curious if you would agree with this. Like if you if you would hear this and say, yeah, that sounds pretty spot on based on your your research and your experience. Um, but Barnab Group said that one third of adult Christians, uh, only one third, I should say, feel deeply cared for, cared for by those around them in the church. So roughly 33%. Two out of five Christians uh, are not in any type of discipling or program or effort. So they're like, you can interpret that as maybe somewhat isolated, right? And then uh, I found this one kind of interesting. Barnab Group says 56% of Christians say their spiritual life is, quote, entirely private. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the first thing when anytime I hear statistical evidence like that, I always want to know kind of what are their parameters, especially when you say Christians say this, like, I okay, who's that, you know, so (laughs) exactly. I will also say that, you know, I, my experience has largely been at churches that are, they're, they're Bible believing, they're what we would consider just part of the Orthodox faith, you know, just the same faith that we have held to for 2000 years, there's nothing weird going on. Um, kind of a range of, of denominational expressions. And I would say, by and large, that those those are pretty reflective. I mean, yeah. obviously, the, the healthier a church is in terms of reflecting the gospel to one another, actually mm-hmm. living out what we say, the, the better those stats get um, yeah. in terms of like, an entirely private faith is, is just ought to be non-existent. Um, yeah. that's, that's pretty mm-hmm. outside the definition of Christianity and how God designed yep. us. So, but, but in terms of feeling cared for, what did you say? That was the first, that one third uh, of people. Feel, yeah. One third adult Christians feel deeply cared for. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's probably true. I think, again, I think that the more a church is reflective of the, the embodiment of the doctrines that we believe. So if you, I mean, if, if we believe that, that, uh, you know, Jesus is the friend of sinners and is gentle and lowly and, you know, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. If those things shape us, uh, that that number one third ought to spike. (laughs) That should go up in our churches. But I do think that there is there's a especially in the more let's call us conservative, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the conservative church, those those who are holding to the, the traditional doctrines. There's often a great disparity between doctrine and culture. Um, yeah. between what we preach from the pulpit, what we say, and then how we live it out with gentleness, kindness, patience, forbearance, et cetera. And so, yeah, I could see why those things are true. And then, you know, there's just a lot of churches that, that are, they, they're a little sloppy with the Bible. Like they just don't, they don't take it very seriously. And then, then what are you being informed by? How do you spiritually care for somebody if you don't have sort of the, the authoritative and substantive means of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, well, well said. So, um, you gave a little bit of background on why you wrote the book belong. I don't know if you want to add to that at all. If there was anything, maybe a particular instance or any type of specific interaction, uh, that, that spurred you to write this book. I don't know if you want to comment on that and maybe kind of the, give a little background on where, where this desire came to, to aid Christians in this, in this effort to be, uh, find yeah. a build community. Yeah. I would love to, to talk a little bit more about that mainly because it allows me to, to praise and brag on, uh, other people who were really significant in this. So, like I said, I grew up in the church. I, I have never not been part of a church. So even at, even at my most wandering, uh, or struggling in my faith, there was always something and, you know, the Holy Spirit gets the credit for this, that kept me tied to the church, despite my own resentment towards it. Uh, I've definitely had a love-hate relationship with the institutional church over the years. Um, mostly, I know I should love this, and occasionally I hate it. Um, that's sort of been, that's sort of been my, my up and down. And so in probably, so what I guess it would have been five or six years ago now, yeah, I went through a really tough personal experience. I write a little bit about it in the in the forward in the book, and, and was was having trouble finding a church that felt like home. And when I say mm-hmm. feel like, I don't just mean like warm hugs. I mean like a place that, that I was like, this is, this is it. This is the fit. This is where the Lord wants me. 
and, and I kind of had categories for that, but I, I wasn't sure quite how to think about it. And I was finally sort of urged slash kicked in the butt towards attending Emmanuel by a friend who was a pastor in another city. And, and, uh, when I got here, um, I was pretty cynical uh, about, I mean, just, I just, I had very low expectations for what the church could deliver. I was like, okay, I know I need to be part of this. I expect it to deliver nothing. There's going to be sort of low grade disappointment henceforth and forever. And, uh, and I walk in and I sit down as far back away from everybody as I can, which is still how I visit churches, despite, you know, actually thinking highly of them. I just, you know, this is sort of my MO. And there was this wonderful welcome at the beginning of the service, calling those who were weary and hurting. And my first thought was, yeah, I don't believe you. Um, I just, I don't, I don't buy it because churches tend to be aspirational. We say what we want to be, not what we actually are. No. But what I discovered in the, in the following months was that what was spoken up front, which I was particularly cynical about because I, I have been around church leaders and pastors my entire life. And I just, I feel like I have a sense of, yeah, you're supposed to say that. You know, I, I know, I know what your job is, yeah. but it was the members, the members of the church that showed me what community looked like. So the, the preachers and the pastors preached it, but the members lived it. And in a way that was, it was humble. It was open. It was honest. It was warm. It was courageous. You know, they took risks like walking up to some random dude and saying, Hey, our kids are in the same Sunday school class and they get along great. Do you want to come over for lunch? And just hmm. stuff like that, that then flowed into genuine friendships, walking through healing, recovery, hard times, et cetera. Um, and, and, and what was so significant about that wasn't that Emmanuel is doing something that other churches don't know how. And this is accessible to any church that loves Jesus. It's, uh, it's that the members were the reason. And then yeah. as I got to know the leadership, hmm. I realized, oh, they're just members in this way, too. You know, we are all members of the body the pastors are called to, to teach and to lead, but there was a, there was a, um, an equality of membership, of fellowship, of honesty, of humility that created a context where I was like, oh, this is, this is what a church home is supposed to be like. And, uh, and then, you know, in this crazy turn of uh, God's providence or fate or however you choose to describe it, after a couple of years, they, they reached out to me and said, we really think you should consider pastoral ministry. And the Lord led me down that path and, here wow. I am serving at the church that that uh, that created this context in a category for me that I that I would not have been able to describe. Well, I, that I would that I had never seen embodied quite like this in my own experience prior. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think back in my own context. Right. So I I've been at the church I've been at for years at this point, And um, theologically, I knew the reality of an embodied church. Right. As everybody is supposed to be. Uh, fellowshipping with one another, walking through the difficulties and trials of life together, weeping with those who weep, laughing with those who laugh, all that stuff. Theologically, I could pinpoint it and write a paper on it for you. But it wasn't until my dad died hmm. that in the midst of that season, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, um, in the midst of that season, I saw the church come around in a way that I'd never experienced before in a different church. And it was already at the church I'm at. It was in the midst of that season of trial that I think the Lord really brought that out and showed that people genuinely cared for me. And that just was something foreign in my mind, at least in a practical yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think, what do you guys the, like, think the natural. Oh, go ahead, Blake. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, too, like the natural instinct that the spirit actually fights against like you were mentioning, Grayson, like with the loss of your father, like in times of tragedy and things like that, so many people, they, uh, their response is like, I don't really know what to say or what to do. And so to withdraw actually seems like the natural, the natural response to, you know, just to step away from the, the hurting person. Um, and it seems like um, in, a, in a body that genuinely, you know, cares for each other and is actually in bodying, you know, the, those, some of those gospel truths of coming around the hurting and things like that. Uh, that is such a key element, uh, I think in this, in this whole thing of biblical community of being able to like travel into the rough places with each other, like when it's 
hurting or when sin has taken place. Uh, and that it's not just those, you know, warm smiles and, hey, how are you is in the foyer, uh, but yeah. life actually, you know, taking place. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think? So kind of an open question. Why do you think this struggle exists the way it does? Like, why, why do you think, uh, Barnabas, you mentioned this just idea of kind of being, I forget how you phrase it, jaded or skeptical when the pastor, mm -hmm. you know, gave this welcoming, welcoming. And why, why do you guys think that we have this, this struggle of um, building community or really finding community? Why, why, why do a third of Christians say that they have that? And what, what is, what, what's going on here? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, it's, uh, I'm reminded of, of uh, something that Tim Keller wrote in, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, um, you know, where he, he's, he's talking about people's instinct that marriage is supposed to be easy. And he basically goes, why? What makes you think this should be easy? You know, yeah. uh, any, anything worth doing isn't easy. There's, there's, there's work that goes into it. Like, if somebody makes it look easy, it's because they've put the work into it. There's sort of that reality of we have the instinct that something should just happen naturally. You know, friendships right. should just happen like they did when we were six and you just sort of meet the neighbor kid and now you're buddies because <laughs> I like your blue bike kind of thing. Except yeah, it's now... Like who... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was just going to make it... A... <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I remember a comedian saying one time, it's like, who's who when you, when you ask a kid, like, who's your best friend? It's like, well, who lives across the street from me? Yeah, that's my best friend. Like, it's just so easy. Kids just make friends like yeah, nothing who, else. Yeah. Who likes the same things I like? Who lives nearby? Those kinds of things. And then, and then you know, you get in, you get out of the college era, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know how to make friends. And yeah. and so it we we fail to recognize, like Genesis three is the defining reality for for us. Now, yeah. I mean, the gospel, Genesis 1 is the defining, defining reality because it points to the, the, the truer, better reality. But in the world where we live, you know, there, there will be enmity is built right into the reality that we navigate. There's, there is yeah. a broken reality at, at every turn. Nothing works the way it's supposed to. So yeah. we, mm -hmm. we walk into a church with the out of touch expectation that it's going to be awesome and smooth and perfect. And, and it's not. And so we are, I think many people's instinct is then to give up on the church and, and the expectations are even outsized because this is a Christian reality. So it, it ought to be even better. And in one sense, that's true. A church ought to be more reflective of heaven than anywhere else. But also a church is just as full of sinners as everywhere else. So the, the, the gap between expectation and reality is often greater. And so, yeah, not only, not only is there sort of the constant low-grade frustration that we have in a lot of friendships, it's the, um, it feels crushing when you expected this place to, to change your life and be perfect and be awesome. And instead, you find out that there's gossipy people here, too. And there's prideful people here, too. And there's, uh, you know, th there's selfish people. There's whatever. And, and you're one of them. And so it's, it's just sort of a, oh, this, this is frustrating and hard and it stinks. And it's a Genesis three reality that the gospel has to overcome the realities that the gospel speaks of and speaks to, but that takes work and yeah. faith and diligence. Yeah. 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 It's the natural result of throwing a bunch of sinners in a room together is that you're going to sin against one another and, and rub each other wrong. Um, one of the things I appreciated about your book as well is that um, that section you dealt with in bearing with one another. Uh, that's my one of my favorite verses simply because I constantly tell people, if you were to put it in modern parlance, it's essentially put up with one another, <laughs> right? There's always going to be somebody that rubs you the wrong way, and I'm going to rub them the wrong way. And that's what, in a context of a local church, is going to happen continually yeah. between members, yeah. especially. But the whole drumbeat of Paul and the New Testament authors throughout the entire New Testament literally is to keep the unity that we have, the blood-bought unity we have in Christ. And that's never something that's going to be yeah. easy. It's always going to be a struggle of the flesh. It's always going to be a struggle of our own minds as we're simply getting over different aspects of how we've been sinned against, but also theologically, how we're thinking through things. 
And then you add into the mix that you've got somebody on the other side of it that's doing the exact same thing. So, yeah, it's going to take work. It's going to be a lot of hard work. But, you know, by the sweat of the brow, something good can actually be accomplished yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think too, there's, there's – at least I wonder. Like when I was making this outline, I jotted down a couple of things. I was just sitting here brainstorming about what, what kind of causes this. And Genesis 3 is ultimately that's, – yeah, that's the theological reason. But I do think there's influences too. Like I jotted down the age plays a factor, Barnabas. I think you're right. I think people our age, because um, I mentioned before the before the call started that the three of us have younger children. When I because I relocated to Tulsa, that's where I'm at. And when we moved here, we you know we started attending church. It was hard to build friendships, and it's I think it's particularly mm -hmm. hard in that phase of life when you have you move to a city that you don't have kind of a base of people right that you already know. And you have younger kids. It's particularly hard because um, just scheduling gets harder. Uh, finding, you know, getting kids together. It's just there's just the level of complexity of coordinating and making things happen yeah. on both ends, right? You, you, and then the people you want to do things do things with or want to invest in is hard. Um, and I also jotted Jack, down another another thought. Jack, yes, I find I find with young children, I just have tons and tons of free time. <laughs> Energy. Everybody has their shoes yeah, by the door. Energy? Do you not? Uh, yeah. Do you not? Do you not experience the same thing I experienced with that, Jack? I, I don't experience. <laughs> I don't experience that. <laughs> it, um, it gets better, y'all. It gets better. My kids are teenagers now, which brings its own set of parental navigating new, different challenges all the time. But yeah. um, capacity and energy do increase. I don't think making friends gets any easier, though. Like mm, right, they're just. Right. We, I never learned how to make friends. I just did, you know, like yeah. you do it as a kid and then you, then you're on the same team with people. And then I went to a Christian college where you're like in a dorm with people. And so you just sort of, in, you know, you sort of cross pollinate with folks right. and you're like, Oh, look, we're friends. And some of those are still my friends. Whereas I moved to Nashville when I was 30 and, uh, realized immediately, I was like, I don't, I do not know what it takes to make a friend as an adult. You can't just walk up and go, "Hey, want to play catch?" Like that, right. they, they call the cops on you for being a creeper. You know, so right, right. it's uh, it, it's it is so a that's really what... hard. It's a hard thing, which is why Christian community needs to be different because it it basically needs to, as as one of our one of our former pastors uh, said, he said Christians eat awkward for breakfast. Like you just sort of like. Chow down on the awkward, get it out of the way, and you're like, "All right, let's get let's get lunch, let's get coffee, let's," and and even going so far as to being like, "Hey, uh, let's." I I would love to I'd love to get to know you better. It's almost like asking somebody out for a date, except that you just want to like hear their story, know who they are, and we are so hesitant to do that. But I think that's a piece of it is just sort of the the Christian reality that all of the one another commands leave no room for awkwardness. Yeah. There isn't mm -hmm. a place for like, this feels weird. Well, that's too bad. Want to go get lunch? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've, so my takeaway from what you just said is I need to stop asking random people to play catch. I think that's what yeah. I, that's what right. I'm doing ask, wrong here. Ask people at church, <laughs> Probably step yeah, one. at church to go to lunch, not random people to play catch. One of these is acceptable. <laughs> the other one, much less so. <laughs> You know, perhaps you could build towards. Yes, right. that's, that should yeah. be the end goal. Yeah. 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 Lunch first, then catch. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? Because anyone who the Barnabas, so we've got the the Facebook page, which I don't know if you see, but the, this podcast kind of grew out of that. So mm -hmm. there's this. So there's within who we are as a podcast. There's always kind of this underlying social media element. And I and I've you know another thing I jotted down here is you know influences of the struggle is I, I wondered about social media to what extent. Uh, that makes it harder because you, we live in a day and age where people constantly feel connected, but aren't, if that makes sense, yeah. because of social media. And I'm saying there's not genuine connection on social media. I think anyone who's done it long, you can, you can find friends and build meaningful relationships that you can, but I think, I think it's not the same. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. not a, it's not a replacement mm -hmm. for biblical community. So just what, you know, maybe a comment on that. I, that's, I don't think you specified that in your book. I don't remember that, but just curious of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I didn't specify because that's a, that's a whole like rabbit trail. There's a guy named Chris Martin. Who's a, I used to work with him at Lifeway. He's, he's now, I think he's at a different publisher, but he's, he's done a lot of work on the effects of social media on 
and, and not like just not like psychological effects, but on community, on relationship, on trust. And, and so I would defer to somebody like him on on some of those things. But just there, there is we saw it in 2020 when yeah. physical proximity was removed out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, we were all super connected to something. And it and it wasn't enough. And it was it was soul sucking and it was uh, it was exhausting. You know, we see, seeing people on Zoom who you used to be adjacent to in the office was it wasn't the same. It wasn't as good. It yeah. wasn't as effective. And you could get certain things done. So, yeah, there's there's a there's a reality there. But I think I think the, the worst as, the worst aspect of it is actually that social media brings out aspects of our characters that never of our character that never happen in person. And that's, that's bad. Like it's mm-hmm. being in proximity puts the brakes on us. Yeah. You know, you could be a loudmouth bully online. You're never going to say that to my face. Yeah. Uh, Cause you don't have the courage to do so. If you do, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I would be stunned, but you know, not you, any of you, I just mean like you, the generic yeah, yeah. mean person. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, or you have, you get into all sorts of arguments or you're really, you're really into weird stuff or whatever it is. And you get around other people. And instead you're talking about how are your kids? How's the transition to second grade going? That's a big one. Or yeah, my kids just had the flu all of last week or how's your marriage or work or like real life stuff. And so the, our instinct to gravitate towards digital quote unquote community, which, you know, it, it has it has its benefits and it's a real mixed bag, but it 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 dehumanizes us in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so our instincts for being human around one another are dulled where we are less present, less good at being honest, less good at asking good questions, less good at drawing people in and more inclined to withdraw into the, you know, in, into the digital because that's yeah. safer, that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. On the other hand, too, it, I think it also provides people with a very unique temptation to always put the best foot forward, yeah. right? So if, you, if you're seen through a certain lens on social media, uh, how much more so do you think in that category when you're in real life with other right. people where the context of the local church is incredibly messy? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just going to be sin people are dealing with. There's all the common, common struggles that are known to man. But the base reality is that if I'm not with people and opening up to those people in genuine community, um, there's things that are just going to be hidden in my life and never really dealt with. And you can't do that online, not in any meaningful sense. Right. Um, but I think the challenge for people too is when they get into a, a genuine community, they can pull back and not be genuine in the midst and, of that community. And frankly, it's weird to do that stuff online. Like you probably know people who try it. Like, I'm just trying to be genuine. So they're talking about how frustrating their kids are and how they had an argument <laughs> with their spouse. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like that's not for Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or mm-hmm. anywhere else. That's for a conversation with your friends and probably right. a conversation that that is more confessional than it is or asking for prayer than it is, you know, griping and whining. And so even the honesty online is dehumanized and twisted because the response to it isn't we don't have we don't have the means to respond in a in a Christian way, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of. Man, I I love you. I'm sorry. Also, maybe don't talk crap about your husband or your wife. Or man, I'm sorry. I've been there. Let me let's let's take this to the Lord together. That's really it's an exhausting season of life or whatever that thing is. The internet doesn't provide that the way human community does. And yeah, right. I mean, I'm on all the social media platforms and and I, you know, I've I've been pretty invested in them for a long time. So I'm not I'm not just one of those stone throwers from the outside. I'm just sort of perpetually on the inside going, I don't even know if this is worth it because this is, yeah. this is, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a weird, confusing, messy place that makes me feel detached from the reality that matters most. Right. I think there's a, well, it gives me an opportunity to drop my famous line that I wouldn't be uh, saddened if the internet just went away. Yeah. It <laughs> could be considered an net loss. Yeah. <laughs> I think there, there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of great things about it, but yeah. go ahead. Blake. No, I'm you're sorry. good, man. I'm usually interrupting you, so it's all fair, right? Uh, no, I think uh, there's a, there's a few things. I, that aspect of like 
the temptation to put your best foot or your worst foot forward uh, are both there on the internet. Again, treating people. Uh, I believe it was the great uh, theologian Mike Tyson that once said uh, that the internet uh, has made you comfortable uh, with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the mouth. Um, you know, so like there's, there's that aspect. Uh, and then there is also that, you know, putting like this facade aspect too, of like, wow, my life is so wonderful and doesn't have any suffering. And I'm just on the beach every day. I mean, I don't, maybe that is you, but you know, there's, there's that aspect as well. But then there's this really strange element, I think in connectivity with others that makes you think that you're more connected to people than you actually are just because you know what they had for lunch. You know, it's like this cheap, it's like this cheap imitation uh, omniscience yeah. or something uh, that, mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, hangs in front of your eyes and yeah yeah, 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 exactly. And so I think, I think there's well, lots it, of people that think that they're connected and they're not, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. And because it, and it, it, it's, um, it's numerically based instead of qualitatively based, you know, yeah. when, when you have numbers of friends, numbers of likes, numbers of responses, numbers of interactions, as opposed to one conversation with one close friend for an hour over coffee or beer or whatever your beverage of choice is. And like, one of those things is substantially changing to your life. The other one, take it or leave it. I mean, that just kind of washes, <laughs> right. it just, you know, goes out of the wash. Yeah, and so, true. yeah, it's a, uh, that, that's, that is the, the qualitative aspect is just missing. But I think when it comes to how that's affecting the church, it's, it is how it's training our instincts. You know, it yeah. is, it is retraining us away. I mean, we were already bad at this because Genesis three was true for a long time before the internet. Um, and, and so this is just a new means of, struggling to to bridge the gap be in relationship and, and relational intimacy that God designed us for with with fellow Christians. Yeah. 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 I think I'd agree with that. Also, Grayson, you've said that before to me, the net loss thing. And I just got that pun <laughs> just now. I just got that pun right now. And I feel really, uh, that's a slow burn. That is a slow burn. It's, yeah. How many times have I heard you say it? I just got it. I've been saying it for years. Yeah. <laughs> I just got. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's um, Barnabas. Let's shift a little bit. And I, I jotted down a question for you. We've touched on a little bit, but maybe maybe just kind of in summary form, could you describe what what does it look like to quote unquote belong and exemplify mm -hmm. biblical community? Like let, let's just idealize it for us a little bit. What what is yeah. that? What does that look like? So from, from the church side or from somebody walking into a church, like where, 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 where do you want me to start? Oh, good question. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let me, let me start with the church side. Um, yeah. so, you, you know, you're a member at a church or you're a leader at a church. You, you want to see, you want to see your church create a context for belonging. Yeah. The, the terminology we use at Emmanuel is we talk about gospel culture, um, and again, none of this is prescriptive other than what you find pretty directly in the Bible. This is just our best effort to sort of create a paradigm and, and verbalize this. Um, and what that means is what I what I indicated earlier is that the the realities of what we believe about Jesus Christ actually shape our everyday interactions. And when I say everyday interactions, I mean the most mundane of them, the the one of you brought up the question, how are you in passing in the lobby, which is a question all of us ask multiple times weekly to somebody, how are you? And they're fine. Yeah. In, in a gospel culture, because of the context of, of um, truthfulness, honesty, humility, safety, this is a non-condemning place, which doesn't mean we're okay with sin. It means that Jesus is going to deal with the sin. We're, we are going to be friends of the sinners, you know, create a context where that can be worked on by the Holy Spirit under the word of God. The, the question, how are you, actually has the potential to be an honest question with an honest answer. You know, mm -hmm. there you can grab, you know, I, I can think of instances on a Sunday morning where particular people come through. I know that their life is not easy right now. And I can grab them and I can say, you know, Mark, how are you? And uh, and he'll he'll pause and tell me the truth. Right. You know, we're, we're grieving this. We're going through this. This is really hard. I'm really angry about this. And and so it's it's that context. And then all of a sudden I have a means to pray for him or to encourage him or those kinds of things. 
And so that gospel culture works its way out in in marks of, of like I said, humility, of honesty. Honesty only exists because of safety. That idea of I can say what is truly going on in my heart in in the context of like first John one, seven. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, um, we will have cleansing by the blood of Christ and fellowship with one another. So through bringing stuff out into the light, we gain both cleansing from sin through confession and forgiveness and fellowship with one another because I'm receiving whatever you just said and we are depending on Christ together. So it's that reality. And and that's a that's a quick flyover, but that but that then shapes small group ministry. It shapes uh, how, how we treat kids. We have in, in our youth ministry that happens where there's there's a there's that capacity for honesty and safety and, and forgiveness. It other pieces built in there are, are uh, aspects of honor. You know, Romans 12, 10 says outdo one another in showing honor. What does that mean? Well, mostly that we intentionally recognize the image bearing of somebody else. Everybody is worthy of honor. Yeah. Even if they're the worst, they're mm-hmm. worthy of honor at some level because because they're made in the image of God. And as somebody grows in Christ, you can you can consistently point that out. Here's how I see the Lord working in your life. So again, there's a, there's a dignity aspect to it. So that's from the church side. That's sort of the context, um, yeah. the paradigm that can be programmatized, that can be planned, that can be scripted in good and bad ways. But but mostly it's it is it's that shape. And in the book, I use the phrase the aroma of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And and the reason I use that is because. I have been to so many churches in my life. I have interacted with so many church leaders in my life. I'm sure you guys probably have had similar circumstances or similar experiences. You you know all of the measuring sticks of a quote unquote good church, healthy church. You know, you might have a checklist of this kind of preaching and this kind of music and this kind of kids program and this kind of discipleship program and this kind of small groups ministry and this kind of women's ministry, men's ministry, outreach ministry, just boom, 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 down the list. A church might check every single one of those and lack the aroma of Christ which is where you walk in and you go, Jesus is at work in this place. I'm being invited into that. So on the church side, that's, that's the, the aspiration and the paradigm. On the person walking into church side, what does it look like to belong? It has to start with the reality that you recognize that you were made to belong. We, we generally have a sense of belonging that is pretty nebulous. <clears throat> Everybody yearns for, for belonging. We find it somewhere, a cause, a, a group of people who have something similar to us. You know, um, it's part of the reason there are these, these groups on the Internet that build around a particular people find belonging in their little weird circles of, of, of quirky interests. OK, there's a sense of belonging there and every belonging that is offered outside of the church is temporal. You know, even if it's a great cause, we are going to we're going to change this neighborhood, you know, this neighborhood that is crime ridden, this neighborhood that is poverty. We're going to we're going to bring in jobs. We're going to refresh this. Okay, at some point you did it. Now what? Now your belonging is gone. So, you know what I mean? So but in the church, we have belonging as designed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, back to Romans 12, thinking of. where it describes the church as, as, as uh, many members and members of one another, one body, many members, members of one another. We were made to be part of this thing. So there's a moral reality to it. There's a design reality to it. It's what we should do. It's what we were made to do. And, and the very simple reality is as created beings, if we are doing what we were designed to do, that's where we belong. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when I, when I was called into the pastoral ministry, it took, you know, that was, a, that was a shift for me. There was a long time where I thought that'll never happen or I, I didn't want it to happen. I was pretty, it was pretty like, nope, that's for other people. I've seen that up close. I don't want any part in it. And the Lord changed my heart, unsettled me where I was, moved me into it. Um, had some, some really wonderful kind of pastoral mentors along the way and some very honest friends who helped me through that process. And, uh, and what I discovered was when you step into the thing that the Lord has for you, you just belong. Like, I feel like I belong in ministry, not because I'm crushing it, but because, yeah, it's very obvious. This is what the Lord has for me. That's every Christian 
in the local church, except that yeah. most of us yeah. don't think of it that way. Right. We don't, we don't prioritize you, it. We yeah. don't emphasize it, et cetera. Yeah. What would you say to a person then Barnabas that professes to be a Christian and then says that they don't feel that sense of belonging? I, I mean, I would want to get some clarity on what they mean by feel a sense of belonging because mm -hmm. The, what we feel and what is are often at odds with one another for, for any variety of reasons. I mean, and I'm not right. saying that emotions do not matter. I'm saying right. that that could be the case because they were at a church where they didn't belong. You True. could be at a church where it's really hard to find belonging because it, it is because it's not reflective of Christ. It's okay. really hard to belong to a church in a meaningful way that is kind of anti-gospel in some way. Um unless you also are anti-gospel and you just love being part of this group that's mad at everybody or whatever. Right, that, right. Th yeah. That exists. We know some of, the, of those. Yeah, as I say, one of the things we talked about, uh, yeah, us, us three together, was that in your book that we particularly liked your section on uh, the faux unity of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, of againstness, mm -hmm. you know, that it's not a gospel-centered thing, but it's a, well, we're all united because we hate this one thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you, you can find a, a sense of belonging there, but not, not a lasting belonging, certainly not a fulfilling sure. belonging and not the kind of thing that, that, that actually unites you with other people. The only thing you have in common with those people in some cases is that we are both mad at the same thing or mm -hmm. scared of the same thing, offended by the same thing, whatever. Um, and you know, I, you know, I live in the South. There's a faux unity here of niceness as well. Man, everybody's welcome. Come on in. Except, except that it's, uh, you know, it's gossipy. It's divided. It's petty. It's sure. a lot of things, and it's not united in Christ. What what belonging in the church looks like for the person walking in is that what binds us to the other people is, I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, and we have nothing else in common. But that is all that matters. <laughs> Right, yeah. And that cross, yep. I mean, read, read the second half of Ephesians 2, where it talks about breaking down the dividing walls of hostility and creating one new man between Jews and Gentiles. That goes for divisions across the board. That's socioeconomic, Amen. that's ethnic, that's whatever. And, uh, and that's, that's belonging in a nutshell is we do not make any sense as friends, but we are friends because of Jesus. And yeah. the only way to explain this is that, that Christ did it. Yeah, Amen. that that section of scripture that's always been so impactful to me because I think so many people don't understand how much the Jews and the Gentiles disliked each other. Yeah, like genuinely disliked, like they were opposed to each other. And and Paul is saying, no, in Christ, this doesn't matter. All these differences, all these discrepancies of things that you dislike about each other don't matter because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. We tend to look at Romans as such a heady theological book, and it is, but the entire book is literally dealing with Jewish and Gentile relations. I mean, that's the full context of everything that's going on in that in yeah. that letter. And we take it out and we deal with things like predestination and all that, which is we need to. But the overarching context of what he's dealing with is this aspect of unity in the church. Same thing when you get to Corinthians, where... I mean, these people are tearing each other apart left and right. And he's like, no, you guys lack love. You lack mm -hmm. unity. You've essentially forgotten what the gospel has actually done in purchasing you together as one body in Christ. Yeah. And that's the beauty of only what God can do through the spirit. So in the context of Corinthians, would you say that suing each other for your belongings is not beneficial to biblical community? <laughs> Uh, better to be defrauded, to quote, oh, I don't know, somebody. Uh, so who, who was that? That might have been Mike that? Tyson again, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the great theologian yeah. Mike Tyson or Paul. I don't know. I get the two yeah. confused sometimes. They both throw haymakers. It's easy to do. Yeah. Barnabas, I jotted down a quote from your book that I'll share in the context of our topic of our little discussion here, but belong, which I really liked. Belonging then is not defined by where we feel most comfortable, most at ease, or by where we have the most in common with others. Belonging is defined by where God intends us to be, and therefore where he intends us to find true life and deepest satisfaction and joy. I thought that was really well said. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, I. that's one. I thank you for bringing that out, because that's one that is a, a lot easier to write than to believe. 
Uh, and if I believe it today, there's no guarantee I'm going to have an easy time believing it tomorrow because comfort and ease are, are always the, the gravitational pull for yeah. our, for our hearts. One, one other thought on belonging, just to help listeners kind of think in categories. We all have a category for belonging that sits outside of comfort. Every single one of us. Um, for example, right now, as we speak, my grandmother is 101 years old and she is nearing the end. And when she passes, well, my, and my mom is at her side right now with her siblings. Um, and I'm sure if, if given a survey of where are the most comfortable places to be, that's not it, but they belong there and they know they belong there and they're, they're right to be there. And, and when she passes away, it is, I belong with family celebrating her life and grieving her death at her funeral service. And, and so we have these categories of belonging that are like, yeah, it's right to be at a place unified, letting nothing come between us for the right reasons. That's the church, except it's utterly comprehensive. It, it covers mm -hmm. absolutely every part of our being. And like there, there's, there aren't exceptions to it. Now there might yeah. be exceptions to particular local churches. There are churches you can't belong at because they're fake churches. But we all belong, we are designed to belong to the body of Christ in local expressions in the church. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, let me let me ch change gears a little bit here. Um, one of the things you talk quite a bit about in, in your book, this need for sharing and openness and confession. You touched on a little bit when you were talking about the how are you question, like people being honest and open about what's going on. But um, I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit. I jotted this question down here because I wanted to hear hear what you'd say. What type of response then should we have? So if if we, you know, this Sunday, if I walk into church and someone asks me how I am and, and I give an honest response or vice versa, they give me a very honest response and it may be uncomfortable to hear. And someone is bringing some type of need or confession. Mm -hmm. um, what, how should we respond? And I'll, and I'll qualify that by saying, I think in the reform community, because we would all be... <laughs> conservative reform guys here on our end. Yeah. Um, I think and you touched on this and I really like that you said this. I think our default response is to recommend a book or a sermon. <laughs> hey, I'm really, man, I'm really struggling with X. Oh, well, you should listen to Sinclair for topics, seven part series on da, 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 da. I'll email it to you. And then we can walk away. So knowing that that's not the right thing to do, how should we respond when someone comes to us with some type of need, confession, or just very open and transparent and vulnerable with us. Yeah. Well, I think that, so I have, I have, I grew up in the same context you're describing. I still, you know, I'm, I am reformed. My instinct is still the same thing. Like, oh, have you read this? You know, oh, you struggle with porn. Uh, you should read Ray Ortland's Death of Porn, which by the way, every guy should read. It's super helpful. Uh, mm. Not the answer in that question. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's probably a future thing to do as part of some, some sort of a, a, you know, a process and a plan working with people. But, uh, so my instinct is that what I've learned in over the last several years is that, well, well, consider this. If you came to me and said, I'm struggling with whatever sin, like my wife and I are just at odds with one another. What, what exactly can I do to solve that problem? Yeah, not a thing. Um, I might have some good advice for you. Maybe I've been where you are. But the reality is who can solve that problem? Well, God can. Yeah. The Holy Spirit can working in your heart and her heart. Uh, leading to confession, leading to reconciliation. So what do I need to do as your Christian friend and brother in Christ? Well, we should probably go to Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So the response very simply ought to be some, some basic premise of me too, or I understand, or I've been there, or I get that. Because the reality is, even if you're going through something different than me, I have categories for what you're going through. Mm -hmm. I've been through something that is not dissimilar, whether it's relational or temptation wise or whatever. And so I can say me too. I get it. That's hard. Let's go to the Lord together. And, yeah. and then just do that. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you actually that. hit that pretty adequately. I, what happens so often is, I mean, somebody's going to come to you with some bombshell at some yeah. point. And most people just don't feel equipped to deal with right. it. They don't know how they want to put it off on the pastor and not in any bad way, but they're, they're looking at it and saying, 
I don't know how to even right. help. The, one of the best things you can do is literally just come alongside your brother or sister who's struggling and pray with them and just simply be with them and express sadness over what may be going on or um, the fact that they can have a friend in you. Because right. in most instances, what they're looking for is that. Um, they're not looking for you to now give a seven-part sermon series, as Jack said, or for you to even necessarily wax eloquently on it. What I find most often as a pastor is that people already have thought through many of these things, and they already have an awareness of what the right thing is to do next. Um, they struggle how to implement it. They struggle how to just simply be obedient to it, um, or they just want somebody alongside them to make sure that they can continue to be wise in it and actually do it. You always get somebody who is just going to reject it at some points, right? Yeah. Um, but for faithful Christians who are part of the local church and love the local church, uh, oftentimes what they need is just another person alongside them to say, look, I'm praying for you. I care right. for you. How can I help you? Even if it's just, I'm going to bring you and your family a home cooked meal one of yeah. these yeah. nights, something as simple as I think that. It's, and, and the other, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Barmas. The other piece of it is that the, that's an ongoing thing. You know, so if mm -hmm. now if, if somebody just had, a, if they had a rough day, you, you can pray with them and like, his mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow's going to be a different day. If their marriage has fallen apart, they need somebody to say, I understand me too. Let's pray. And then text them tonight. How are you praying for you still? And then text them tomorrow morning. Hey man, do you want to get coffee sometime soon? Love to just hear how you're doing so that you're walking with, but the, but the reality is you're not solving the problem. You're right. just, you're, you're continuing to be a conduit of Christ's presence, his promises, his hope, and a, the, the the bearing of one another's burdens is one of those one another commands. Mm -hmm. And the way we bear it is simply by coming alongside and basically throwing their arm over our shoulder and going, you don't have to put all of the weight on your own two feet. I'm here too. And so that's a piece of it as well as we, I, again, my other instinct, you know, I have the, I have the, here's a book instinct. The other instinct is I'll pray for you. I do so. And then I never do so again, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to the walking with, which is it? Which is the a, a much more meaningful way to help people in whatever yeah. difficult circumstance? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You also brought up Hebrews ten twenty three through twenty five at one point in the book too, and I appreciated that because when we're looking at the context of the local church and us gathering together, mm -hmm. right? It's not just a command. There's a purpose yeah. to it. Is that we encourage one another and exhort one another, and so there's this reality where we can say. Just continue to look back to Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I'm here alongside you every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Grayson, do you have that up? Do you want to read the maybe the context of the, of the whole verse, the little section? I can do it. if I have it up if you don't. Yeah, okay. I've got it. Uh, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah, amen. Yep. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I had a question here for you, Barnes, and we've got about five, five to ten minutes left, so we—I don't think we're going to get to all the questions. So, um, but one one thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you consider the hardest part of building biblical community? And maybe it's something we've already mm. talked about, but what do you think the hardest yeah. aspect is? It it's something we touched on earlier, but I would I would phrase it a little differently because we asked earlier, you know, kind of why is it so hard? And there's the big yeah. theological answer and the difficulty making friends. What I've discovered though is even once you're in meaningful Christian community, so I, I you know I'm blessed to have some really close friends where honesty, safety, exhortation going to Jesus together are all part of the, the dynamic. And my instinct is always not to talk to them about the hardest stuff. Mm. There's, there is just a resistance to persisting in it. Yeah. I feel um, that I can relate. To yeah, that. yeah. It's, I mean, it, it, it is, it is part of the, the broken human nature, the sinful human nature that needs redemption. And so I'm at a place now where I have to, I have to convince myself to do something that I know is awesome for me. You know, if, if I have been, if I, if I have been tempted, you know, I, I you know, sec sexual sin thoughts in my mind, whatever, if I have, um, if I've been harsh with my kids or my wife and I need to, 
I need to tell those brothers about that. Just the same thing we were just talking about. Hey, man, here's where I'm at. They come alongside me too. Let's pray. My instinct is always, I don't need to tell them that. They're going to judge me harshly. What? Like, totally out of touch with the reality of what God has done. That's the hardest part about Christian community is simple resistance and believing stuff that isn't true, I think. Yeah. Our instinct is always, this isn't going to be good. And the reality is, this is going to be great. Yeah. So we're just, we're just fighting so with the truth. You're saying we share the same fundamental problem that our forebears, Adam and Eve, did, where we sin and we hide. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had yeah. a chance to go speak to uh, some college students a few weeks ago um, and the, speaking on friendship. And, and one of the things that I talked about was the, the breaking of intimacy between God and Adam and Eve and then between Adam and Eve. And you see it when when Adam says the woman that you gave me did X. He just right. turned on the two relationships that were perfect in his life. Right. When we been, we haven't quit doing that since. God gives us these great relationships. He gives us a context. He says, this is what you're designed for. And we're like, yeah, I don't buy it. And also I'm threatened by them or also I don't trust them or also whatever. We there, there's a there's an innate resistance. And the only way through that is is I mean, is prayer, persistence and just learning to tell ourselves this is this is where good is. This is yeah. the path of life is to walk into a group of meaningful Christian friends and tell them the truth. And let them go to Christ with you. Yeah. And uh, mm -hmm. and we hate that idea until we do it. And then we go, that's right. That's why That's why we do this. Yeah. And I'd, I'd encourage the listener, too, if you're hearing that and being like, okay, I'm going to start doing some of this. I, I would encourage you to be persistent and remember mm -hmm. and know that if, if, if you start opening up, become vulnerable, there's a good chance. Because we're talking about, I asked the question, what's the right way to respond to this? There is a good chance someone is not going to respond well to you. And I would encourage you, if you're hearing this and thinking, okay, I, I really want to build biblical community, um, don't give up. If someone responds and says, well, here's R.C. Sproul's lecture series on such and such, be gracious and kind and keep being vulnerable, keep pressing. Because I, I think I think there's an element of, of and this is just me kind of speaking off, off the cuff here, but I think one of the reasons we're scared to do it is for all the reasons you said, but also because we, we rarely see it done. And yeah. I think there, there's an element of if we start doing it, other brothers and sisters in Christ, when they start being on the receiving end of it, will feel, oh, you came to me with this. Let me pray with you. And then I think there'll be this reciprocal back and forth behavior of the, that, only, that can only really be seen in, in a Holy Spirit indwelled body of Christ. Right. So be, my, my, all that long, long story short, be persistent, uh, yeah. be persistent in prayer and don't quit if things don't go well the first time. Yeah, I'd even go so far as to say, if you find that it's awkward to begin with, which it yeah. will be, and that's OK, just simply say, hey, I need to be encouraged um, or I yeah. need to be rebuked here or I need to, to learn more about these things. You know, in that context, it's appropriate for the book. <laughs> But in all of it, it, if you can come out openly and honestly, just say, here's what I actually need, you'll find even as people maybe give an unhelpful answer to begin with, they'll hear that and they'll say, oh, okay, well, I can, I can do that. I can encourage you. I think sometimes we just don't always think of, you know, the best response possible or, you know, you got there on a Sunday morning and it was a chore just to get the three kids out of the house because one lost the shoes and other one was fighting with the other one and um you woke up on the wrong side of the bed and as alistair Begg said you kick the dog and you don't even have a dog right yeah. but <laughs> you you just keep pressing forward and and ask people um if you have a tangible need or a, an actual spiritual need just be open with it it's okay yeah yeah well, I've, uh, one other practical encouragement on this you know i totally agree with what you guys are saying the find two other people and agreed and just talk through this with them. So if, cause if you're going solo on this, people don't know how to respond. You know, they, they don't, so you're going to be honest in your, they ask you, how you doing? You be honest. You've caught them off guard. They're going to instinctively respond maybe in that less helpful way. But if you have, if you, if you find a group of two or three friends and you say, Hey, what if we, and then you lay out this sort of paradigm of receiving, um, there's the, the reality of affinity and we are going to take this directly to Christ. We're not going to judge. We're not going to give instructions. We're not going to 
you know, recommend books, whatever you create that paradigm, then, then you have some, some compatriots. So even if it's frustrating elsewhere, you have this, this context where you're like, okay, we've agreed that this is how it's going to be. So start small and, and just kind of see where it goes and then invite other people into it. But it, it is going to be tough to fly solo on this in, in a lot of contexts, you know, either yeah. the, or the other option is if you don't have those people, what you can start doing is responding well when other people express a need, just very simply. So rather than just opening up and dumping on people when they're unexpected, somebody comes to you and goes, man, it's been really tough. Just go, man, I understand that. Let's pray. Let's let's go to the Lord together. They will be stunned. <laughs> you know, it'll feel really good, but they'll be caught off guard. So just there's a couple of practical things because you don't you don't change a habit in a culture just by deciding to do it. There has to be sort of a, a slow burn. The spark has to catch. It has to spread a little bit. So feel free yeah. to and, and feel good about starting small. Yeah. Yeah. Blake, did you have a question? I think you started to say something a moment ago. Oh no, I think it was, I think it was covered. So, I mean, oh, I was, okay. I was going to ask, I, I, I remember what it was. It was the, uh, it was just that aspect of, well, what do you, when you, when you are open and honest with somebody and they're not expecting it, but you know, but, uh, that was yeah. already kind of touched upon because that can be shocking. I mean, yeah. it's, I think sometimes we get into the hot, like in the habit of, you know, saying, you know, how are you? And you're not really like, you're not really expecting a, a truthful and honest <laughs> answer. You're, you're looking yeah. for the, Oh, I'm doing good. How about this weather? You know? Um, and so actually being mindful of, you know, truthfully answering the question and truthfully asking the question when you're saying, yeah. how are you to actually want to know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So much of this is context too, you know, like if you're walking through the church lobby and there's 80 people around and you're just like, how are you? How are you? How are you? That might not be the context for dumping on somebody. Right. Um, whereas, you know, if you, but we miss these opportunities when we do make time to get, like we grab coffee right. with somebody or we're hanging out with them at a happy hour after work and they go, man, how are you? How's it been? And, uh, and we still don't tell them the truth. Like that's a context where you can take the risk, tell them the truth, man, things are hard right now. They may not know how to respond, but you just shift, you just change the rules and you opened yeah. a door, you just kicked open a door that had always been just kind of tacitly closed. And that, that changes the game. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Well, Barnabas, uh, we're about out of time. So thank you so much for taking time to, to chat with us about building community. Um, and again, I'll, for anyone who's been listening to this, I would really encourage you to pick up Barnabas's book. Again, it's called Belong, Loving Your Church by Reflecting Christ to One Another. It's excellent. It's a short read too. Like you can, it's what, I think it's like 90, 95 pages. Like it's not a, a marathon book. Yeah. It's something you can read. It's practical. You can take it and get stuff out of it quickly and easily. So mm -hmm. um, very much encourage you to do that. I'll put a link to the book in the liner notes for the podcast and on the bottom of the YouTube section by whatever it is, the little area where you <laughs> the type thing, whatever that thing, the thing is, yeah. the thing where yeah. the stuff is. Yeah. So, but, uh, Bar Barnabas, anything else in closing, um, you'd like to share, share with our listeners? Uh, not, no, I don't think so. I mean, we, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. I mostly want to say thank you to you guys for really appreciate you engaging and, and, uh, and asking the questions that you did. And I hope, I hope the book's an encouragement. I mean, I, I wrote it with the hopes that um, people who are in church would have a new vision for what it can be. And people who are hesitant to join a church, maybe, maybe faithful Christians, but just they've been beat down by the church would look at this and go, okay, this there's a, there's a different design that God has for us than what I've seen. And so I'm going to press in and that it would, that it would bolster and encourage people that way. Yeah. Amen. Blake Grayson, anything else from closing on you guys? No, I, I just appreciated being able to talk with you today, yeah. brother. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And really, yeah, I appreciate everything uh, that you, uh, that you do Barnabas. I, I, I've been on a bit of a, a Barnabas binge the last two weeks. I've read four <laughs> of your books. So, because I want to be prepared for anything, you know, uh, but I particularly, well, I mean, just, well, I know you. we're talking, yeah, right, right. I know that we're talking about, uh, you know, belong, but I would just like to like last second plug here. If you have not read, uh, the pastor's kid, I, I really highly recommend it. Um, I thought it was an excellent work growing, uh, not growing up in the church or coming from a church, you know, Christian family or anything. And now being a pastor myself with young kids, it was, it was very eye opening on, on lots of fronts. So, 
Uh, if that's a for our listeners, if that's a, a subject that interests you, how to uh, minister to uh, the the pastor's kids and the pastor's family, and how pastors are supposed to relate to their kids and all that stuff. Very, very helpful book uh, by our guest, Barnabas Piper. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to Chorus and Chaos. Until next time, 